0: Welcome back to Sextras,
1: where we talk about sex and all the extras. I'm Honey. And I'm Maria.
0: And welcome to our episode today. We're joined by the wonderful Karma Bhojwani, who is a spiritual psychologist and she's an expert in sexual shame. And that's exactly what we're going to talk to her about. We're going to talk all about overcoming sexual shame and what sexual shame actually is how it manifests in our lives and then we're going to talk about like a few different kind of ways to recognizing it and then working through it and yeah thank you so much to karma for joining us she was super helpful and i hope you guys learn a lot from the episode
1: yeah let's get into it with karma
0: thank you so much for joining us karma it's so nice to have you on the podcast and to meet you properly. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here from
2: the other side of the world.
0: Yeah, it's super early for you. (laughs) So we really appreciate you taking the time. And we're really excited to jump into all things sexual shame. As we were saying earlier, we kind of talked a little bit about how you can raise your kids in like a shameless way. But we really want to talk about how you can overcome sexual shame as an adult. And you are the resident expert in that. So yeah, we're really honored to have you here speaking to us. Thank you. You know, I was just going to say that I'm
2: always, I'm, I'm hesitant to call myself the expert because it's so massive that I think this is literally going to be lifelong work. But I have, yes, I have spent the last few few years honing in on on sexual shame. So I'm very happy to share what I've learned so far.
0: Can we ask like what, what inspired you to specialize in sexual shame like what particularly about that interested you? Sure so I've always been really
2: interested in sexuality and as we talked earlier I grew up in India I've lived in the UK I've lived in the US I've lived in Australia and I I noticed that the the conversation around sexuality was always very confused and always very complicated and very convoluted and I tried to figure out why. So I was doing my own research um, about five or six years ago and then a, few, a couple of years ago, I came across a program in spiritual psychology at Columbia University in New York, and I applied and I got in because I always had this intuitive sense that sexuality and spirituality are very closely intertwined, and there are models for this in you know in ancient uh, in ancient philosophies, particularly coming out of India. So I went in there and it was COVID and, you know, the, the shit was hitting the fan all over the place. But I said, look, you don't have a track in sexuality, but I'd like to study sexuality. And they were like, all right, do what you want. Um, and, and very quickly, three or four months into my just sort of researching sexuality and 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 looking at studies around sexual expression, sexual self-image, the concept of shame popped up over and over and over again. And the most interesting things that I found very quickly was one. We think it's directed towards women, and it is. Women really get the short end of the stick when we talk about sexuality. But men experience a great deal of sexual shame as well. So that was a big learning for me. And then as I started looking cross-culturally, because that was something I'd seen intuitively in my own experience, it really is true that whether you were raised in the UK or you were raised in parts of Africa or you were raised in parts of Asia, none of us are really immune to this, this feeling of sexual shame. So that's why I sort of decided to hone in on it. it, became very, very powerful.
0: And and then when you talk about sexual shame, can we kind of clarify for our listeners like what that actually means? Like what what is sexual shame?
2: So in the sort of in the academic definition and the way I work with it, sexual shame is any negative feeling that is associated with your sexuality. And sexuality, remember, is very little to do with how you have sex. I mean, that's a part of it, but I would say that's probably only 10% of it. We're talking about how you feel about your body. We're talking about pleasure. We're talking about gender identity. We're talking about sexual orientation. All of those things are bucketed into sexuality. So any sort of negative assessment or um, discomfort that is brought in from the outside around sexual shame, uh, around any of those things, is sexual shame. And as you know, Brené Brown is sort of the, the 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 resident expert on on shame, and she draws a distinction, and the and the research also draws the same distinction. There's a difference between shame and guilt, which is important to understand. Guilt is around doing something bad, right? But shame is about being bad. So it inherently sits and strikes at your self-worth and at your um, how you value yourself. So it's very, very potent. And it can really cripple you if you don't deal with it in your teen years and your young adulthood, going, going all the way into midlife.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction to make between shame and guilt. And I also really like what you said about sexuality not just being about sex, because we talk about that all the time, like... I think mm. people can get a little bit kind of defensive when it comes to talking about sex and they'll be mm-hmm. like well oh I don't really care about my sex life but it's not just about that it's about as you said like everything to do with how you kind of move through the world and like who you think you are as a person.
2: Absolutely and if you know without taking us into two lofty spheres but you know, I would also argue that sexual energy is one of the most powerful ways to connect with your, with your, with spirituality, with the, with your divine, with Mm. the cosmos. Um, And that again, is something that I study and I I, I use very much as a tool, we'll talk about this later in terms of alleviating sexual shame.
1: Mm.
0: And so when it comes to sexual shame, in like your adult life, what are some of the causes of that? Like, what are the roots of sexual shame? And what can, What can lead to it?
2: Sure. So if you look at your entire life, sexual shame is implemented at various life stages. So I'll just give you examples. As a child, if you are playing with your genitals, which is very common, children are very curious, you know, they're trying to figure everything out. If you're playing with, you're touching your bits and bobs and somebody comes in and tells you that's wrong, don't do that, wash your hands, that's dirty immediately that's a ping of shame it's also the opposite if nobody says anything about it if there's no acknowledgement of relationship sexuality intimacy if you're a teenager and your parents refuse to acknowledge that your body is changing and that you're growing if you don't see affection and intimacy between the adults in your in your um in your sphere all of those are messages to the to children that this is something that is bad. This is something that is shameful. This is something that is done, you know, in the dark with, with the doors closed and the lights off, that sort of thing. Coming to young adulthood, it's really interesting because that's when people start becoming sexually curious, potentially sexually active. And there are studies that show that, for instance, if you're a woman across the world and you are going in to get... Um, The morning after pill, emergency contraception, there is shame thrown at you because very often women, you know, you're not even given you're not even given proper sex education. Nobody has proper sex education. It's like, I would say, five percent of the world. And we're still we're in 2023. Right. And we're still struggling with this. So that's an example for boys. Once you get to that age, your teenage years, your early adolescence, early early adulthood. Sexual shame is really, it's, it's all about how big your penis is. And it's about how many notches you have in your belt, right? How much sex can you have? There's very little around intimacy and developing relationships and knowing your body and getting to know the other person. It's, it's a numbers game. It's performance metrics. So that's how shame is implemented on uh, for, for boys. While girls are told be sexy, but not too sexy, boys are told don't be soft, right? In, in, in a literal and in a, and in a metaphorical sense you come into your 30s 40s let's assume you're in a heteronormative you're in a you know in a in a marriage in in today's day and age there is a lot of shame associated with leisure with pleasure with couples taking the afternoon off and and just being with one another instead of driving the kids to an activity or taking them to lessons. I mean, here I live in in the heart of Silicon Valley. There's no dearth of privilege here. But everybody's kind of depressed and kind of chronically inflamed because they don't spend time loving themselves and loving one another. Take it to the midlife stages. And I'm just sort of drawing the timelines because we're really not exempt at any stage of your life unless, and we'll get to this, unless you choose to reclaim it yourself. Take it to midlife. Women are told after a certain age they're not allowed to be sexy they're not allowed to have sexual desire or sexual freedom or sexual expression and it's a real it's a real problem because we're living let's say you hit menopause in your in your 50s we're living to be 90 so somebody keeps telling us that we're not attractive after a certain age and we're not entitled to sexual energy and sexual pleasure and sexual desire that's kind of fucked up hmm. yeah that's like half of your life <laughs> And if you, if you really think about it, you know, when you're 10, 25, you're still figuring this shit out. Anyway, are you trying to tell me that I've only got 20 years of like sexual health? Fuck that shit. I'm not buying into it. <laughs> no. <laughs> mm.
0: Yeah. Fuck that.
1: And I feel like so many like people, women or people at that, at that age, even themselves, like get to the point of like, cause they just hear it so much that they're like, yeah, well, what's the point? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, what's, at this age or whatever when as we were saying it's literally half of your life it's like there's so long left come on it's
2: very it's very problematic because the messaging from the outside is uh is all of those things it's part of the reason that you know one of my most popular videos is sexless marriages and I think part of the reason is because by the time people get to four or five years of marriage you know you have young kids it's it's hard it's really fucking hard I have a 12 year old and a 14 year old and I remember those days but if we've already got messaging that tells us intimacy dies after you know two or three years you can't really be sexy and and have a fulfilling sex life over long term then by the time you hit your 50s you know your reproductive years are over and you're not going to get it anyway of course we're just going to be like you know what why bother I may as well invest in my career. I may as well invest in saving the planet. And all those things are very worthwhile causes, but they shouldn't be at the cost of your own intimacy and your sexual Mm. self-expression.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting because there's obviously like really clear ways that sexual shame shows up. And maybe we can kind of talk a little bit about what those are in a second. But there's also things that go under the radar and maybe as you say you're like really invested in all of this external stuff but you're not honoring your own pleasure and honoring your own relationship with yourself and i think that's something that so many people feel and we don't really have the the language to label it as sexual shame but it seems like everyone is experiencing sexual shame in some way and we we just don't acknowledge it and we're not working through it
2: mean absolutely and I this really became relevant to me as I started researching and I think we talked a little bit as I started doing research for my thesis at Columbia and now for a book I'm writing and I would put out calls for interviews and of course first you start with your network and you know we associate with who we associated with so all the people that were coming to me were my friends and they were very sex positive and they were aware of the problem and they were sort of working down the path. But once I started expanding and just putting in calls on Instagram and I have a decent, you know, I have, I don't know, something like 30,000 followers on Instagram. So I was reaching a wider net of people. I mean, I have a 65 year old man from South Africa and I had an African-American gentleman from the southern parts of the U.S. And I had people from India and I had people from all over the world coming in and telling me how some version of shame. I had a 46 year old man tell me, and I quote, I still feel bad when I masturbate. Oh, that's a lot. That's a big weight to carry. That's Mm -hmm. a big weight. And I'm very, very sensitive to men for, for a couple of reasons. One is we've screwed women over in many ways, but at least we've given them the permission to seek help and to lean on one another. We don't do that with men. So when men come and talk to me, it's because they can't talk to their partners and they can't talk to their colleagues and they can't talk to their friends. And, you know, sex therapy is, is convoluted at best. So they're, they're, they're seeking out places. They're listening to podcasts. They're reading books. So the, the, when, we, when we put out the permission to alleviate sexual shame, I want men to understand that they own it as well. They have it. And it's OK to work towards something different.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah no for sure you mentioned a little bit how it sexual shame also definitely affects and shows up on men but can we talk about maybe some more specific ways that it does and just generally to like women as well how it shows up so
2: the so the research shows that
1: for women specifically sexual shame shows
2: up first of all in body issues right which oh my god how familiar are we with that right? I'm I'm never thin enough. I'm never this enough. I'm never that enough. My legs are too short. My boobs are too small. All of that, right? So body image. It translates very quickly into depression, into anxiety, uh, self-confidence, self-esteem issues. And then it goes into more dangerous stuff because if you are ashamed of yourself and you're ashamed of yourself, your sexual image, you're less likely to worry about your own pleasure, which is a shame but you're also more likely to engage in risk taking behavior so you may not use a condom you may you know you may not be willing to emphasize certain safety measures that are very very important so there's a whole gamut of things that really is is problematic and in your older years you know you might you might feel like the lack of the compromise that you made around intimacy and and sexual self expression. And I use the word self expression because I truly believe that sexuality is an inside job. You can fake it. You can fuck like a porn star if you want to. But if you're not feeling it on the inside, then you're really missing out on that energetic sort of feedback loop. And I think there's a real cost to that. I think there's a part of a reason, part of the reason that we're all chronically inflamed. One of my classmates once said to me, she was like, you know, ejaculate is the lube of life. I love that. I'm going to have a chapter in my book called "Ejaculate is the Lube of Life." If you really think about it,
0: we're 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 missing some lubrication. There's a lot of friction. Yeah, Mm. that's so true. And so, what are some of the ways that we can kind of start to, I guess, acknowledging sexual shame is the first stage to overcoming it. But yeah. are there any like concrete ways? Is there one path you should follow or are there a ton of different ways that you can approach overcoming it?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there's never one path, right, to any of this. I think it's it's all very subjective. It's all very personal. But I think, yes, understanding that this has been done to you by all the major institutions in our lives, our families, our parents, our schools our I mean, I went to a convent school in India, which is very common. And um, I remember being told when I was 15 that masturbation was a sin. Luckily, I didn't take it seriously. I was like, that's a kind of a harsh stance. And I sort of moved on with my life. But I still talk about it 30 years later, right? So I think acknowledging that this exists, that there is a societal reason for Sexual shame has been implemented to women. Women are very sensitive to shame because shame has a social component, right? And we are wired to be social. We are wired to receive social cues and to act according in, in accordance with them. So I think we have to understand, and I'll speak just of women. We can talk about the men for in a second, but I think we have to understand that there's a reason this was controlled. It's because our sexuality is very powerful at some point back in our history women were the owners of sexual power we were we were the boss in that in that realm so i think we need to acknowledge that and that's where my work around spirituality starts becoming really important so in terms of concrete action i think you need to know that this has been done to you and raise some awareness i think it's worthwhile sitting down and identifying those moments like for me you know masturbation is a sin whatever right those moments when that ping came to you, that ping of sexual shame, and then sort of working through it. And I always say this, if you're an adult and if you can pay rent and if you can drive and you can vote, you have the power and the responsibility to change these scripts, what we call sexual scripts, right? These are the stories that we have been told, but now we are grownups. So we get to keep the ones that we believe in and that we want to believe in and we must discard the rest, right? So whether it was your mother who said darling close your legs because you look like a whore or it was your father who said whatever or it was your pastor it was a teacher whoever it was identify it I would say if possible forgive them you know come come at it with a little bit of compassion and a little bit of empathy they're all products of society let it go and then We live in an age where we have so much information. It is your responsibility to rewrite those scripts in a way that is fitting of your value system, of your belief system, of who you are as a person, how you want to express yourself to yourself, how you want to express yourself in the world. So you don't get off without doing any work. You don't get off just blaming mom and dad or blaming somebody else and being like, you know, they made me feel shit about myself. So that's what I'm sitting with. You can, but then welcome to stagnation and welcome to making some pretty poor choices in your life around your sexual sexuality and your sexual identity. But if you do the work around the awareness and you do the work around acknowledging where these messages came from and then choosing the ones that are relevant to you in your adulthood, I think there's a and it's ongoing work. It's you're never done. Some of these, you know, some of this trauma is very deep rooted. So it'll always, it'll always come out. I've always been accused of being too sexual from the time I was 12 and 13. And I didn't even know, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even know, like you said, I didn't have the language for it. So if I'm out, sometimes that, you know, that's a ping in my head. So I have to keep sort of working through it and be like, no, no, this is a choice. And this
0: is why I'm, and this is my divinity. Mm. Do you ever notice that people kind of feel resistant to overcoming their sexual shame like because I'm imagining that a lot of these, as you're saying, these sexual scripts can be really, really embedded in who we are as a person and like our deep sure. belief system of who we are and what are some of like the things that come up in resistance like do people feel? attached to those beliefs in any way and do you have any kind of like advice for how to do the work simultaneously to like keeping certain beliefs
2: yeah i mean these are these are big transformations and they're scary and they require courage Mm -hmm. right courage is sort of the the gateway energetically courage is, is the gateway to sort of raising your vibrations around and i think a lot of people shy away from it I think that's part of the problem. A lot of people are like, you know what? I'm happy sitting with the status quo. I'm happy blaming my childhood. I'm happy blaming the church in which I felt shitty because the pastor said, you know, what? whatever, whatever it is. I think there's a real risk to not opening up if you don't acknowledge and you don't have. I, I mean, in my work, I come across very few people who feel like, you know what? I'm really happy with my sexuality. I'm really happy with the way I feel about myself. I'm really happy with the way I express myself, with my boundaries, as well as my, what I'm able to give. Um, and those people have done the work. So I would say baby steps. It's very scary. And sometimes, let's take a very common example of somebody who's coming out, right? Of somebody who's coming out is gay. It's, it, it's, it's a similar metaphor where you have to, you have to know who you are you have to want to know yourself better. So you have to really love yourself enough to be like, no, I want to I wanna be all of me. I don't want to hide for somebody else's sake. So it's, it's a similar thing. I'll give you an example in my own life. My, my mom of, has said to me often, you know, Kamna, having sex with more than one person I think is abnormal. Not even immoral, and I come from a very progressive family in India. Like, very like my dad was like, "Bring the boys home," because I know you girls are gonna, you know, you're normal teenagers. That's rare. I've realized mm. how rare that was, even in a in a global context. But so when my mom says things to me like, "Having sex with more than one man is immoral," I now think it's hilarious, obviously. But to somebody else breaking away from that mindset and breaking that relationship, or or, or putting a hand up and saying, "You know what? That you do you and let me do." Everyone, you know, you know what I mean? That takes some I think humor helps. Sex and humor are, uh, humor is a very underrated tool when it comes to sexuality because it's sex can be so heavy and sexuality can be so heavy. Humor brings some levity. Um, so, and, so I think a lot of people use that. Even when you're in bed, you know, it, it, it's awkward sometimes. It's icky and there are weird sounds and, you know, and somebody's farting and there's like slapping and all this kind of stuff. So being able to laugh through that helps elevate the comfort level around the conversation
1: yeah that's definitely true
2: <laughs> i think and i also think you know empathy and grace is important empathy for yourself knowing that some of this stuff is really hard you want to shed you want to shed some of those scripts but let's say you're a you know you're a 50 year old woman who's been told that once you have kids you know women are not supposed to have sexual desire it's very hard to shed that so you have to give yourself some time and some grace as you as you work through it because like I said this is not an easy shift
0: Mm. and when it comes to like a spiritual practice um I wanted to say as well like I interviewed before you before for my article about spiritual celibacy and one of the things that you said when I interviewed you was like about blocking out all the voices in your life that are not serving you and kind of like honoring what is actually your own belief and I just thought that was really interesting in this context because I think people think that spirituality and sexuality or like religion and sexuality are not compatible And so obviously your work is like about spirituality Mm -hmm. and sexuality. So how can a spiritual practice kind of help you overcome that sexual shame and reconnect with that part of your life?
2: Yeah. I mean, look, part of the reason that people think that sexuality and religion are incompatible is because those are the messages that we're given constantly, right? When you sit in a a Christian church, it's about, you know, having sex with your, your, your spouse and in a particular way and... But as I was saying, you know, with any, most of the major religions in the world, whether it's Hinduism, it's Islam, it's Christianity, it's Judaism, there are some pretty rough gender roles. You know, women get the short end there as well. But they, they do have very prescriptive, a lot of them. And that's in modern day interpretation. If you go back to the early readings of those scriptures, there's debate that that's, you know, you know, Christ, for instance, I don't want to get to anything too controversial, but there is... The the modern day interpretations are much more restrictive than the way they were originally meant to be. Let's just leave it at that. But in my work, I draw a very specific distinction between religion and spirituality. And I think that helps to bridge that gap that you were talking about, honey, the religion and sexuality piece. So the way spirituality can be used to help with sexual shame is to remember three things that make it distinct from religion. So in religion, first of all, It's based on sort of the scriptures. It's communal and societal, right? What you do in church, the norms, the behaviors, those sorts of things. Spirituality is actually very individual, it's very personal, it's very subjective. For some people, music is their divine, for some people, it's nature. For some people, it is an actual form of a person, whatever it is. So you have to start developing. And and, and in your 20s and your 30s is a great time to start this practice. A lot of people come to it very late. You know, it's kind of like when you finish doing everything else, it's like, all right, now I'll be spiritual. That's the wrong way to do it. You have to start, in fact, if you could, children are very naturally spiritual as well, but we tell them they're not allowed to have imaginary friends. We sort of beat it out of them, right? Make them very rational and scientific. But if you can start playing with that, like I'll tell you, my 12-year-old, her name is Kimaya, but she all, she refers to herself as Luna sometimes because she, she, she has a connection with the moon. And I mean, as far as I'm concerned, she can howl away because she's telling me something about, you know, where that spiritual energy is going. So tap into the uniqueness of your own sort of spiritual energy and what it's calling you to, right? That's, that's one of the ways they, they, they differ, religion and spirituality. The second way is that it's, spirituality is, is about an intuitive voice. It's not about reading a particular book. So it's really in that same way about it being individual. You really have to sit, and this is where meditation is a, is a very powerful practice, right? It just helps you quiet and connect, So you really have to sit. So in the context of sexuality, when you're, for instance, when you're dissecting those sexual scripts, if you can find a way to quiet the voices, journaling is another way, you know, just quiet all the noise and really sit down and be like, what do I believe? Like in my case, do I actually believe that having sex with a lot of people is immoral? I mean, no, I know that because I've done the work, but the way to get through that is to not ask your friends, and not ask your therapist and not look at mom and dad, but to really sit with yourself and be like, can I stand in this belief? And from there on you execute. And you know, and then you're you're passing this down the same way we watched our parents. At some point, if you decide to have children, they're gonna be watching you. And children are very fucking smart. You can say something to them, but they're watching. They're watching your behavior. They're watching your reactions to things. So we have to be a little careful and give them a little bit more credit than we do. And the other way that religion and spirituality are different in the context of sexual sexuality and shame is that religion is all about the duality, right? Spirit and flesh, good and bad, vice and virtue, you know, Madonna slut, my favorite. Uh, all those, and in, a, in a spiritual world, those dualities don't exist. In a spiritual world, energetically, we are all connected. We are all interconnected, which means that first of all, nobody has any business judging anybody you know if you think that we're all connected and we're all sort of working through this process together but then it also means that you don't get to judge yourself so compassion and self love and all those all those little clichés that are so important all come into play here there is no my my body is divine it's not that my it's my soul and my flesh is just you know it's just absolutely not all of this, my divinity resides within me. So if I can go to the temple and pray, I best be praying to myself as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting what you're saying about like meditation and stuff. Because I think when we talk about like masturbation, a lot of what comes up is first before you even like, have sex with a partner or try to figure out what you like with a partner yeah. sitting kind of like with yourself and just like touching your body sure. and feeling your skin and feeling like in the shower feeling yeah. the water run on you and just like absolutely. allowing yourself to feel those sensations it's so paralleled to that spiritual practice that you're talking about and that meditation absolutely and i yeah i think like it makes so much well
2: sense. let me just point out that a capitalist society doesn't like when we feel good about ourselves Because then it means we're not buying the $100 cream and we're not, you know, we're not investing externally in other stuff. But yeah, if you can manage to stand in front of the mirror and be like, oh, my God, look at this fucking goddess at whatever age and whatever, you know, if you can manage to do that, you are, you're well down, you're well down the path. And then from there, feeling good about yourself, then you can feel good with the partner. Right. I don't in my in my private practice, I don't work with couples. Because you have to, as an individual, that's why I keep saying sexuality is an inside job. You have to, as an individual, get to that point before; otherwise, you're just dependent on on everybody else. Somebody, somebody's going to make you feel good about yourself. Somebody's going to make you feel bad about yourself. Yeah, there's too much variance. I don't. That doesn't work for me. I need to be. I need to anchor in myself first,
1: and then whoever can come and go and stay, ideally. Mm-hmm. Do you have any um, sort of ideas on sort of implementing then that work like with a partner? Because then I feel like it is true that I do also agree with you guys that you should sort of do that with yourself first and sort of figure that out first. But then I feel like it's like a completely different thing being able to then translate that and kind of Mm -hmm. maintain that energy with whilst also like sort of letting someone in.
2: I think that, so it depends on where you are in the relationship. I think curiosity goes a long way. I think humor, as I mentioned, goes a long way. Um, when you get to that point, and like I said, there's no end state. It's always just getting a little bit closer back to yourself, right? You're never completely done. I mean, I have work to do. I will continue to do this work until I die and maybe into my next life. Who knows? But the vulnerability and the honesty and the playfulness, if you come to a partner and say, "Hey, look, you know, I'm curious about this. So I'm interested in this, and this is what I discovered about myself. That's an invitation. Most of us don't do that. And remember what I said if you're if you're you know if you're straight and you're working with men, they have even less permission and even less language. So you might have to acknowledge that we have to bring them along a little bit. That's one of the the downsides of the patriarchy, as well as we sort of stunted men emotionally and and spiritually. So, if you, if you understand again, remember that if women are where the where the holders of the sexual power, that you may have to be a little bit patient and bring them along. I think that's I think that's the first step, honestly, and and then being able to communicate what you want and what you don't want. And the the thing about risk is very important. Still in twenty twenty three, I will have women talk to me and say, I didn't, you know, I didn't ask him to strap it up. He said he was only sleeping with me, but I'm not entirely sure. Sorry, that's not acceptable. That is not acceptable. You have to love yourself enough to be like, I'm not putting myself at risk. I don't care if he doesn't like me. I don't care if he doesn't call me again. It still happens very much. Yeah, definitely.
0: And do you think that people can kind of still do the work of like overcoming sexual shame in a relationship even if the other person isn't on the same page or how do you think you should kind of handle that situation
2: I think it's very hard and I look I'm figuring this out in my own life as well because on one hand you feel like oh you know my my own spiritual power should be so strong that I can weather anybody I don't think that's necessarily true because energy matches, right? So if you come in, if you if you're with somebody, even even in an in a, any intimate circle, as friends, as family, with somebody whose energy is is negative or judgmental or shameful, it's kind of hard to rise above that. So I think you have to be really careful. When I interview women in particular, women in their 30s, I've had a couple of women tell me that they have done the work and they're very comfortable with their sexuality and they love sex and they enjoy it, but they have been with men who have been astounded and incapable of really understanding that because they are stuck in another story, right? They're stuck in the story of, you know, light's missionary, you know, man is the aggressor and he's, you know, his pleasure comes first to the point where these men will say things like, Oh my God, you're so good at giving head. Like, have you done porn? I mean, yeah, or have you been abused? So again, compassion, maybe this is a man you want to bring along with you and educate really depends on him. Is he willing to learn? Is he interested in growing? I think I think the motivation is is key. If whether it's a man or a woman a you know non-binary, anyone that is not looking to evolve is not going to evolve. Right. They're not unless they're forced into it, but you can't really stick around and wait for life to be handing it to everybody. That's not your job. Your job is to make sure that you are in sync with yourself and what the universe is bringing to you. So I think it's really tricky. I think it's really tricky. I think you have to you have to trust your gut and your intuition around this person is not good for me energetically and is not going to let me grow. And I'm not going to evolve with and I'm not really going to be able to bring them along but that intuition piece is is key it's really really key trust your gut we we know this we we use it all the time we tell children to trust trust their gut and then we say no don't do that and don't do this so it's it's about courage Mm. it's about giving yourself and giving the people you love a little Mm. bit of space so they can figure it out
0: yeah that's a really good note to end on I think and yeah thank you so much for joining us is there anything that you kind of want to Leave our listeners with anything that you think they need to know, anything about you that you want to share. Yeah, I
2: mean, like I, I, I mean, I've said this a couple of times. I think it's ongoing work. It's lifelong work. Um, the earlier you can start, and it really, it really just comes down to wanting to know yourself and to love yourself. That's the first step, and then you intentionally and thoughtfully and slowly start addressing these sort of pain points in your life. And they can shift. I truly believe that energetic transformation is real. You can do this.
0: Amazing. Well, if our listeners want to find you, where
2: can they do that? Sure. I'm on Instagram at Kamna Live, K-A-A-M-N-A, live. And actually I'm on everything at Kamna Live. So YouTube threads now. And uh, I have a newsletter. You can sign up on Instagram. And I am working on a book. So TBD, but a book on sex, shame, and spirituality. So that's uh, probably the middle of next year. Amazing.
0: That's so exciting. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we'll keep our listeners posted yeah, for sure and we'll yeah. we'll link all of your social media down below as well Perfect.
2: well thank you for having me in this conversation is, obviously it's important to me because it's it's literally all I talk about but thank you for making the space and for engaging and, and opening it
1: up thank you so much for teaching us something today and for having this conversation with us we definitely appreciate it and I'm sure our listeners will also appreciate it fabulous yeah. well we
2: will be in touch
1: thank you Thank you so much to Karina for joining us and talking to us about sexual shame and the things that she's learned along the way we've really appreciated it and yeah it's just important to keep having these conversations and sort of acknowledge these things in
0: your life so yeah thank you so much and we as we said in the recording we have done an episode on how to raise your kids in a shame free sex positive way so if you've kind of like feel like you've done your own work maybe you can listen to our episode with dr tina and learn like how you can also pass that over to your kids and if you want to hear more about this kind of thing let us know and we'll do try to do an episode on it can get in contact with us on our social media instagram facebook tiktok at sextras podcast on our website sextraspodcast.com or you can email us sextraspodcast at gmail.com and we'll be back very soon with another mini series so stay tuned
1: yeah we'll see you soon see you soon Bye. bye You've been listening to Sextras,
2: presented by Honey Jane Wyatt and Maria Jose Hayodetii. Produced by Mabel Productions.